Hello and welcome back to Miss Macintosh, my darling, the commentary. We are on chapter 77 and last night I finished volume three. Uh, it's going to be about half the size of the other, like about 300 pages, uh, paperback version compared to the 600 pages of the other two. I was, I think volume two is good. Uh, volume two is going to be 600 pages, but, um, yeah, there's, and then I, oh, and I gave up. I know I said I was going to like books and poems and plays and songs and all the stuff that was in there. Yeah, it's not going to make it into volume three. One, I thought it was repetitive because um, I'd already mentioned them in volume one and two. Like if they, wherever they appeared in that, in that particular paragraph, I mentioned it. So I thought I was repeating myself a little bit. And then to try and go back and find it, no. And then I, and then I would just randomly be looking for stuff and... Uh, like I was looking up regions because I want to do a little bit of write up on the different regions, which he focuses on the New England, Midwest, South, and then just mentions the far West, Alaska and, and Seattle. Um, uh, so there's a little more work I want to do with that part of it and probably a little more work on the character list to make it really complete as far as who all is mentioned uh, in the book. Um, so I did cut a lot of stuff out of that. Um, so, but it still has, I mean, but still I'm really, I'm really happy with it, especially with, and the, and at, by the end, the uh, focus of it is on the philosophy that's in the book, because I think that really opens up what the book's about. Although the books that she cites in there as about, you know, mentions, uh, I tried to keep the synopsis part of it. And I didn't know whether, and I, when we go through and edit it, uh, I'll, I'll talk about it more because I didn't know whether, like I read something and went like, oh my gosh, there, you know, there, like she, she pulled that from this particular book. And it, so I, I really think, I know I interpreted it as far as intertextuality, but I think a lot of it was illusion uh, as well. But, um, so left that in there. So yeah, it's done. I couldn't believe it. I just sat in amazement, uh, you know, after four years to be working on it. So I just had an amazement that I was like done. So what am I going to do with myself? Anyways, <laughs> I still have to do the podcast and, uh, and edit it through the podcast. So that's fun. Uh, it's a really cool way to do it. I recommend it if you ever write something. And, um, um, hopefully I'm still waiting. I, I've, I've seen people on Twitter that I follow that have gotten the uh, new poem collection from Marguerite Young, the new book that's been out. I pre-ordered it a long time ago. Um, and they said they, they got no warning. It just showed up. So, um, yeah. So I'm still waiting for my copy. I cannot believe how that's going. And then, yes, the uh, actual Miss Macintosh, My Darling, has been pushed out into to June, I think, at least of next year. All right, so we are almost done. We got five more chapters after this. Chapter 77, it's a little bit longer. I'm, hopefully I won't have an interruption. I don't know if I'll get through it. Um, character list. Esther Longtree, Vera Cartwheel, Dr. O'Leary, The Miller, The Little Boy, The Old Woman Abortionist, and The Chicago Detective. Synopsis, Esther talks about her life under threat of an investigation into her missing children by the Chicago Detective. She talks about her first child, other stories she has heard. This is a very dark chapter. Paragraph 1. Esther wondered who had killed heaven, green earth, the love which could not defend itself against unknown assault and was not heard, who was crying and even Esther could not hear, the stillborn mother and who was crying to a dumb waitress so intelligent too sympathetic to strangers. 
Esther blamed astronomy and the doctor and the doctor O'Leary said all was wrong all was wrong with the world Two, Esther kept away from the poles for this reason and had improved because she had not slapped her foolish childish mother for several years everyone else was wrong about Esther for bringing unwanted children into the world but she had not but she had done no wrong or hardly any wrong for she had wanted children Esther wondered what was stopping this dream from happening and Dr. O'Leary had assured her she was healthy he thought it was a great overhang veil, overhanging veil of shadow. Esther suspected it was Cock Robin, and Cock Robin had killed Cock Robin, so the mystery was solved. Was solved for her. According to Esther, it was Cock Robin who had killed Heaven, Earth, the little love, and had finally killed himself, the victim, hiding his head under his wings so that he would not see who had done it, and would not be seen, and would seem at the inquest, where the murdered souls stared at the murdered souls, only a brown, feathery husk. So this is like just not hiding his wing, like burying your head in the sand and refusing to look at it. So I'm sure that refers to something. It's just so hard <clears throat> to get a handle on it. Um, oh, it just is. I wish I could talk to Marguerite Young. <laughs> not that she would tell me, but still. It appears that Young used Who Killed Cock Robin as a common association with the mythology of Luke, a warrior, a king, a master craftsman, and a savior. He is also associated with Mercury and Baldur in Norse mythology. He was killed by Bran the Blessed, the god of winter, in the form of a raven. Luga is believed to have been a Christian continuation through St. Mologa in Ireland. Cock Robin appears seven times in Esther Longtree's chapters. From this description of Esther Longtree, it appears Young was using the archetype of Persephone, Demeter, and the Lucinian mysteries. Um, but, I mean, those are all... But we'll never know. I mean, those are all... Good theories, but I like how she said, you know, he, he doesn't even know who killed him because he buried his head in the sand. Three. Oh, sorry, doing some editing. Esther thought no one would think to blame just him for murder so vast. She had these thoughts because of her pregnancy. She was weighed down so by the death of a small thing. Her spinal column was curved by the weight of memory and was too slender a stem for her large head. Yet no matter how cheerful she was, there was a sadness that she remembered and it was not hers. It was somebody else's fear and sadness. For Esther said she would be, she would not be irritated by small things, those of which she was not responsible. Dr. O'Leary reminded her the universe, which might be quite, quite small, something to hold in her hands. Yet the small could irritate and distract her more than the big. To Esther, men seemed small. At those times, even a bee buzzing could irritate her. This is why she worked at the Greasy Spoon, so she could forget everything. She had worked hard with her hands in order to be happy. The restaurant was so clean, even the health inspector wouldn't find any germ. Esther told the story of the miller who fell in the flour bin and then had a seizure. When he walked around, he sprinkled flour everywhere so people thought it was snowing. And in a small town like this, there were many tragedies, which probably in big cities no one, no one noticed much. The miller's father would pass down the secret of his exact thumbprint upon the flower so it could be passed down from father to son. The son worked hard in the mill, but when the father died, it was not so, for no one could pass a thumbprint down. This was why the miller had seizures. Esther said the restaurant was still clean despite the miller. He said her bedroom was the dirty place, which could not bear inspection. So much could be found there, and so much could not be found there. Five, Esther thought the jury might inspect her room and wonder what all the baby things were for and if the child was the Chicago detectives, even if there was no child. Either way, she would be accused of something. Esther thought that they might find the child she had been even though Esther had not. 
Young reminds us that the jury will consist of men. It was not until 1968 that all states in the U.S. required to let women serve on juries and not until 1975 that the Supreme Court decision made it federal law. Esther thought if the jurymen looked hard enough, there wasn't anything they wouldn't find. She questioned whether the law was on her side. Her room was so disordered that it might reveal, reveal that it might conceal the evidence of sadness. Esther would rather be tried in private than in public, would prefer that all witnesses see the evidence of nowhere or whatever she might choose that they see. She might choose they see, for she would not want them searching her privacy for fear of what they might discover. They might discover the grief of a small thing. Esther wanted to keep her illusion of herself as a wild pregnant mare rather than an old gray mule with a broken back staring at nothing. It would hurt her reputation if they found the grief in her bedroom. If she went to the courthouse, she would be all dressed up and feminine, and it would be obvious that she had been raped by a thief of the night, a stranger who had hidden among the bedclothes. Many an old maid has dreamed thus of being raped, but she could prove that in her case it had been no dream, for she might give birth suddenly to a dream. Esther was very healthy, and she had never been so attractive as now when her wild pregnancy closed her away from the salesmen in the meadows for fear of the shadows being disturbed by the flesh. The idea of women dreaming or fantasizing about being raped comes from a long history supported by male-dominated institutions where women are trained to be rape victims, which is still being challenged today. The rape fantasy in women is man-made. Women use the rape fantasy to find their sexuality within the context of male sexuality or power drive. And I expect... Um, let me see, do I leave this here? So there's a whole thing on volume three. This topic will be explored more in volume three, women's experiences in To All My Darlings. And I did finish that. Six, Esther thought that a trail would take... See, I keep misspelling. How many times did I do that? I keep misspelling trial for trail. Or I keep kept correcting it. No, I probably I just spelled it. Um, I'm going to have to stick that in to autocorrect and see if I can find how many times I did that. Um... Yeah, she wanted to be seen. I mean, it's hard to tell what Esther is now. That she wanted to be seen as a wild pregnant mare instead of an old gray mule with a broken back. Staring at nothing. So that's a, that's the huge thing. The dream compared to reality, which uh, the same as Miss McIntosh. Six, Esther thought that a trial would take the pregnancy out of her control. Her mystery would be complete and mysterious. Seven, Esther thought this might set her free and everyone would be guilty then. Eight, Esther thought if the guilt was a natural act, then everyone was guilty. If the cloud was all that was ever real, then who should wish to sweep away the cloud? Nine, Esther compares her situation to the Song of Songs of the sterility, which is the creation. Her body was pregnant with death. Hers was the sense of the loss, so was she guilty of murder? The Song of Songs is an erotic poem. It is unique within the Hebrew Bible in that it celebrates sexual love. The two are in harmony, each desiring the other and rejoicing in sexual intimacy. Jewish tradition reads it as an allegory of the relationship between God and Israel and Christianity. It is treated as an allegory celebrating the love between God and church of 
or Christ and His Bride, the Church. Christian Church's interpretation of the song as, as interpretation of the, interprets Church's interpretation of the song. Oh, the Christian Church's interpretation of the song is as evidence of God's love for His people. Both is. Let's try this. Of the, uh, the Christian Church's interpretation of the song is evidence of God's love for his people, both collectively and individually. Over time, a moral element in the bride as Virgin Mary were added. It is unique in that these conclusions are not found in the overly theological books of the Bible. Those books reveal an imbalance in the relationship between God and man, but Song of Songs is a theological metaphor in which the two partners are equals, bound in a committed relationship. In modern times, the poem has attracted the attention of feminist biblical critics with Phyllis Tribble's Depatriarchalizing in Bible Interpretation and the Feminist Companion to the Bible series edited by Athalia Brenner and Carol Fontaine. That was really interesting. I got to look into their work a little bit, but there's also like a bajillion volumes to their work, so I don't have time. Um, I'm sorry, but the overview and the summaries are really interesting. Ten, Esther describes how her pregnancy changes through the season. Were not the fathers guilty? Eleven, Esther wonders why she cast a shadow and why she was fleshy if nothing was born. Everything pleased her and teased her immeasurably. If all had been stillborn, all would have been better. There was the exception, the one who was accusing her, the little boy who grew and cast a shadow. Twelve, if Esther could catch that little boy, then she would still him. The little boy did not trust her and put obstacles in her way, so she would stumble and would and put obstacles in her way so she would stumble and would make her lose another one. She would stumble and fall and cry and give birth. Esther cried over every lost thing or lost child when she found a little book hidden in a little hole where no child's little body was. That had driven her almost out of her mind and senseless. 14. Esther read the children's book and wondered who had left it for her. She thought the book might belong to one of her dear and neglected children. This frightened her. 15. Esther felt the cold darkness, the slow realization of an immortal terror. She thought she had hidden the dead child here, and the child's book was his. The dead brain had learned what the living brain had never learned, some old, old mystery that was bigger than hers or anybody's. It had learned to read, to, read, to write. It had gone to school. 16. Esther says all the letters in the alphabet book stood for something, then list them for the body, evidence, and a child that kept asking her, Mother, why did you kill me? Mother, why did you not kill me? Mother, where am I? How could she have done it? She had scratched her cheeks, she had pulled her hair, she had wanted to be good. Abortion was, has been used to separate good women from bad women. The stigma punishes the bad woman in society. Even if the abortion is necessary to save a woman's life, religion often stipulates a woman must sacrifice herself. It is better to die than live with the stigma of having an abortion. The only good heroine is a dead one. When Young was writing this over 18 years, abortion and contraception were not legal. 17. Esther believes everything is accusing her. She lists alphabetically, like Catherine, all the things as evidence to accuse her with. 18. Esther wondered how she could sh show three children to the Chicago detective. Was there anyone who could tell her? If ever they had been born, they had been born dead. That much she knew. For so much time had passed that they were not to be found. They were not to be found now, though in searching for them, perhaps the detective would find the others. He might not find what he was looking for, but such for might not find who what he was looking for but such others esther uh, others and might find the others esther wants to convince him not to come that it was a private matter and nobody cared anymore if she was a murderer 
The Chicago detective liked the quiet cases best, that he could not be scared away by the quiet or by the noisy ones so loud, loud. We will find what he is scared of, though. 19. The Chicago detective was smart but sterile. Esther feared she could not escape him. This detective was a murderer. 20. The Chicago detective always found a murderer. He would turn Esther's into a big investigation and would find all the dead children, for that was what he had threatened. He solved cases whether there was a body or not, but he only dealt with the deaths of little white children, for the deaths of the little black children were not his business, there being so many and so unimportant. When Young wrote this, the civil rights movement had been going on since 1954 to 1968. 21. The Chicago detective was not interested in the death of anything black, it seemed, in nothing of a black color. That which was black could not concern him, the white detective. When he found a dead white girl, that was fine, but in the same woods if he found a dead black girl, even if killed by the same murderer, he did not care. He hated all things black, the little black children of whom there were too many. He didn't even bother to solve the murder mystery of the white children because he hated the black. And all of this, I'm sure, is quite obvious. Um, that's to, still and to this day that black murders are not murders of African Americans, but black people in the U.S. is not considered noteworthy or newsworthy. Twenty-two. The Chicago detective was only interested in whiteness. As he had to draw the line somewhere in a world of so many deaths, he drew the line between the whiteness and the blackness. Things were either white or black to him. Twenty-three. The Chicago detective was busy enough solving the murders of the white, all the white mysteries and those which were so quiet that they were not noticed by the police. But the black mysteries were too quiet even for him and scared him away. 24. The Chicago detective was afraid of the black mysteries. Esther said hers was this quiet black mystery and wondered why the Chicago detective still threatened her and said she hid his little white children. He shouldn't scare her now. She guessed he was the murderer, the detective, while she was innocent. Then why should he inquire into her secret vast sorrow, especially as she had never complained to anyone of the truth? The truth that she was always pregnant. The truth that she was never pregnant. 25. Esther remembered so that... So Esther there is, <clears throat> excuse me, Esther there is saying the truth is she's always pregnant and never pregnant. So she's kind of, and don't worry, we go on, there's more about Esther, poor thing. Esther remembered all the old forgotten murders, innumerable. Even those in other countries, Esther would laugh if she wasn't pregnant and some of them made her mad. 26, one murder, the Chicago detective told her about stuck in her memory. 27. The Chicago detective sent Esther a yellowed newspaper clipping that read, Mass murderess apprehended accused by dead mothers and dead children. There was nothing but about the fathers. It was a woman abortionist and her timid little assistant who had killed all the poor unmarried mothers and their babies too in a hospital which she ran for that purpose. The mothers were described as well treated right up until their delivery. It said the fathers sent bouquets. When the mother was supposed to deliver, mother and baby were killed by the cruel old abortionist, a large woman weighing almost 300 pounds. The babies were buried with lime. Lime is used at mass grave sites to capture the scent of decay and keep soil pH high. Low pH soil is an indicator for a mass grave as the decomposition products are acidic and lower the soil pH. Adding lime reduces this acidity. The mothers were given a graveyard burial under the wings of angels. The fathers were the only mourners, but the mothers were always buried under strange names, so they could not be found or claimed. The newspaper was dated as happening during the horse and buggy age. 
Esther wondered who would look in a graveyard for murders. The old ab woman abortionist kept her trade until she murdered a woman who was not, who never could have been a mother. This story may have its roots in real events. Baby farming is the historical practice of accepting custody of an infant or child in exchange for payment in late Victorian Britain and less commonly in Australia and the United States. Some baby farmers adopted children by paying lump sum payments while others cared for infants for periodic payments. There were several women or couples in the past that murdered or allowed the adopted children to die through starvation. Even the Catholic-run Ben Secor Mother and Baby Home in Ireland illegally adopted children without their mother's consent, and the home had an abnormally high child death rate with malnourished, emaciated babies. A significant amount of children's remains were discovered in a septic tank on the property. There was also mistreatment and abuse of the mothers. I think it was one of those... You get the Magdalene Laundry... There's a couple movies that, are, that have been out about this. So this particular story that Young, I think Young based this part of Esther's story on is one of the most famous baby farming child murderers was Amelia Dyer and her daughter. She murdered infants in her care over a 30 year period during the Victorian era in the United Kingdom. Trained as a nurse and widowed in 1869, Dyer turned to baby farming to support herself. She initially cared for the children legitimately, then began directly murdering children she took in, strangling at least some of them and disposing of the bodies to avoid attention. She was caught <clears throat> because one of the... because the... body of a child was found in the river. The timid assistant may refer to Dyer's 23-year-old daughter, Polly, who assisted in the child murder of Doris Marmon. 28. Esther thought this was cruel and unreasonable to take advantage of a woman who was pregnant, alone, afraid, no father, and no one to miss the woman or child if they died. The old woman abortionist had taken care of the shame and the woman. The old woman abortionist waited to kill the woman until her labor pain started because this was natural and a mother should suffer. She would just deliver the child then in such a way that it would be born dead and would kill the mother, but only after it had been, but only after it had been the agony of birth. This may refer to Genesis 3.16 as even women's punishment for being cast out of the Garden of Eden. The old woman abortionist did this to a woman who went into labor pains but found the great void, that there was no seed, no child, that there had never been a child, but the dream of the child which had caused this body to swell, that it was all, oh, the terror of a dream. The old woman abortionist killed the woman anyway, for she was, has sinned against the flesh. The woman was just as guilty, pregnant in her dreams, even though there was neither a child nor father. The old woman abortionist threw the body into the river because there was no one to pay for the funeral. Um, yeah, okay, and I'll go into it next. That is, there is a yeah, okay. Never mind. I'll come up in the next couple of, chat, couple of paragraphs. 29. Esther said that's how the old woman abortionist was caught. The body was found in the river. Esther laughed when she thought the murderess was caught and brought to justice because of a foolish mistake. The dead woman was found fully clothed with the old woman abortionist's details in her purse. What puzzled Esther is that there was also a child's little brown hand or tooth or ribbon. 30. Esther wondered why she reacted to the story since she was always pregnant and it was no dream. The accus accusation of child murder could not be made against her. She would make the accusation. No one must provoke her now. No one must try to find her out. She saw the evidence of the death which could not have taken place all around her. 
Esther may be suffering from false pregnancy or pseudosciasis. It is the appearance of clinical or subclinical signs and symptoms associated with pregnancy, although the individual is not physically carrying a baby. The mistaken impression that one is pregnant includes signs and symptoms such as tender breasts with secretions, abdominal growth, delayed menstrual periods, and subjective feelings of a moving fetus. False pregnancy has a prominent psychiatric component as well as physical manifestations of pregnancy. It can be caused by physical or mental trauma, chemical imbalance of hormones, and some medical conditions. 31. Esther again regretted the writing letter to the white detective lying to him about his children. It was a foolish thing to do. She guessed she must have been out of her mind. 32. Esther felt safe because the Chicago detective only investigated white deaths. Any kind of blackness stopped him from investigating. Esther did not know this when she wrote to him. The dark corners of the human mind, who could understand them? She thought it would be fun to get even with him, the detective who had raped her before she could cry out. He had a bloody knife with him and he had left her for dead. 33. Ever since then, murders had grown. Esther was afraid to go outdoors. Since the shadow of murder was everywhere, and if this was the end of creation, then how should she give birth to a child upon this day? Yet it was only her imagination, this feeling of murder, for the child grew. She said she needed to stop thinking about death so much. 34. The crime was diffused and everywhere. Parts of us must die even as we are conceived, where already the icy hand of old age is laid upon the mouth. 35. Esther knew she could never have killed so many children, so many could never exposed her children to time. She could never have buried them even though she'd always taken chances. Always cast her lot with the uncertainty, the doubt, the questioner, the other persons, big and little. The child was the cold starlight, the wind, the blackness, the void, and oh, her sense of pity, of remorse, of loneliness, her big, aching heart. 36. Esther wondered if she should have left the Chicago detective bother her. If she should have let the Chicago detective bother her, made her heart respond to bitter knowledge. How dare he try to be her conscience? He who thought he knew so much might be proved more ignorant than any newborn babe. She might scare him away with the blackness, the whiteness. She might produce something black. 37. Esther thought the Chicago detective might solve all the mysteries, the deaths of the salesman, of the barren woman, of the child that never was, but she was, but she was greater mystery. She laughed in her sleep because of the little children. She didn't understand why the Chicago detective bothered her since he had already admitted that he could be mistaken, that even when he got to the heart of the mystery, there was always the other heart. Even if he had a perfect case, the mystery was never totally solved. There was always something missing. This echoes Mr. Spitzer's story that there was always something missing or not counted. In this case, the thing that is missing is the Chicago detective. One day he saw his own shadow and he almost killed himself because he was being shadowed. If he had then, who would have solved all the cases? He had found the little white girl and the little black girl, both with compasses in their hands. The black mystery that had followed on the white as the night follows day, but he had run screaming, stumbling through the woods, and had never written to the police. 38. Esther thought he only solved the white mysteries. Esther guessed it might be dead brides or the missing father where the children played with the skull, judging by the newspaper clippings the Chicago detective sent her. The missing father may refer to the story Madge told Homer during the bus ride in Chapter 7 about Mr. and Mrs. Tidings. 39. The idea of children playing with their father's skull appealed to Esther. 40. Esther didn't think there was a reason to worry over old murders or accidents. She only worried someone would testify against her. Dr. O'Leary might but no one would believe a crazy old doctor. Once when he thought he was dreaming, he delivered a real baby and said, Oh, I see it all now. Life is a dream, and I have been wrong and much wronged, and I must give up this practice. This line may refer to a play by Pedro Calderón de la Barca called Life is a Dream. Barca was a Spanish dramatist, poet, writer, and knight of the Order of Santiago. 
Life as a Dream is a philosophical allegory regarding the human situation and the mystery of life. The play's central themes are the conflict between free will and fate, as well as restoring one's honor. Other themes include dreams versus reality and the conflict between father and son. Esther heard the little voices asking her why did she kill them. Esther felt the trial was the real one and had no bearing on any mortal case, for she was exceptional. Just as old doctor had always told her, that she was immortal and could not testify. Esther imagined herself as being everywhere, so she could not come to any conclusion. She thought maybe the children lived and she was dead. Who could find the heart of a mystery that had no heart? 41. Esther wondered who cared about old human laws coming from dying fathers. Should a woman ever answer a man's questions? The men, oh, what children they were. 42. Esther felt none of it was her fault. It was just her misfortune. It was a great serenity. She did not want to be examined to determine what her trouble was because she preferred the void, the mystery, the darkness. Esther says repeatedly that her heart is enlarged. Esther describes her enlarged heart as sympathy or to be kind and generous. It will come into play in the last chapter. No strange man should crawl inside her womb to find out what the answer was. She would prefer an everlasting silence to stare at them rather than answer one solitary question. She was always pregnant, and that was the answer. Young through Esther seems to express the plight of women. They are immoral because their children live on through them and not the fathers. Fathers have no right to her womb to claim children. Women are not just important when they're pregnant. They are important because they are pregnant all the time or able to create all the time. Esther may symbolize creativity, that pregnancy with ideas and creation. 43. Esther knew there were women who would rather have crawled across fields of jagged ice than be pregnant, caught in the net of years. But she was not one of those, one of these. She was just the opposite. They crawled toward the loneliness they loved, and she away from it. She toward pregnancy and childbirth, which of course was two different were two different things. Esther believed her choice was one with a future to it, and all the impotent salesmen are almost all had agreed with her that the prospect was limitless. Women who gave birth more directly might be the murderers, but not she, for she was right, and all the others were wrong, wrong, wrong. Not she, so lonely, reaching out to love, to death, which is another form of love. She was always right. There are several characters, like Miss McIntosh, Mrs. Hogden is another one, that have manipulated their arguments so they are never wrong or never appear to be wrong. 44. Esther did not want others to confront her because they didn't understand her inner tightness. She didn't know what they would find in her womb because she identified herself with so many things. She, through her sympathy, had dreamed so much. To her and throughout the book, the gray landscape was the world unborn, hovering still at the threshold of realization. Perhaps it was all a part of some vast mistake and would be stillborn, or maybe this had already happened. 45. Esther was forgetful, and it was not a man she cared for. It was always the child. 46. Esther didn't know how she could produce children in or out of the court. She might always give birth to nothing. Could the census taker find his little children by her? Did he even know of them? Or were they counted in the census? Esther thinks like Mr. Spitzer about all the things that cannot be counted or are missing. Last paragraph, 47. Esther says she is a mulish woman. She loved all the little unimportant things, and because of this, she shouldn't be punished for a few mistakes. She wondered again why the Chicago detective insisted on sending her newspaper clippings, stories of old horrors, of the mother who mur murdered the child, and of the child who murdered the mother. She questioned why the sterile father sent her all these gifts to the earmuffs for a small baby that might be cold and clothes for those who might be dead and growing. That's why I shortened it, because you can see where, I mean, I found that line and then found that it was from the play Life is a Dream. So it's already in, and so I already found, so 
things like that that are already mentioned, so that's why I didn't try and go through and list them all. Um, the ones I did focus on were the ones that I thought were mentioned more than once, like uh, Don Quixote, uh, Divine Comedy, Paradise Lost, Pilgrim's Progress, uh, the Bible, because there's just a lot of quotes about it. I don't put any, I don't gather together all the quotes from it, but because those are again, I already put those in volume one and two. Um, so I did leave in the the mainly the books and poems that were mentioned more than once. Um, that kind of seemed to be running like a theme that was running through. And then once, and then no, we go back over it. When I read uh, volume three, then uh, hopefully it'll make sense. So yeah, there's two more things. So I need to take out a couple of things, uh, a couple more things, but I need to expand on the regions and more of the people's, which I did. I did really get into the uh, Puritan work ethic. So there's a very interesting book written about it, um, which I think help explains a lot uh, the mentality in the U.S. I think, and I think Young uh, pulled from that. Oh, aren't you being just so cute? Hey, baby boy. Yes. You comfy? I can't have the dog out here with me because she barks. So put so they switch. I leave her outside. She gets her barking out of her. I put her inside. Then I bring out my little baby boy. <laughs> he gets to sit out here and show me the, the weather. But it gets colder tomorrow, so I go back inside after tomorrow. Um, so yeah, I want to. I, I was. The regions were interesting to me because I wanted to figure out. Was, uh, young besides the Middle West. Besides the Midwest, was Young saying something else about the other parts of the country? So it, there's a little bit of illusion there. Um, I definitely. Uh, which I've talked about before, but I wanted to write it down and make it more clear uh, about the the kind of people that she found in the Middle West. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, just, they're the same all over. Like, it's been exalted as this place, but really it's the same all over that's still trying to deal with, uh, with uh, mental illness, with um, racism, with white supremacy now, um, with, um, um, <laughs> the tavern, the tavern lady who, you know, that she says, uh, like you said, it was quiet here in my, uh, room. It's you know, like, I couldn't sleep because it was so noisy. And she's like, well, whatever happens upstairs is, is we figure is your guys' business. We don't want to know about it. So if you don't like it, leave. <laughs> so, so, I mean, that, those kind of attitudes and stuff, like the idyllic, it's really cool. The idyllic picture that Vera had of the Middle West with her seed catalogs and uh, stuff that she, you know, things she could believe about that part of it, which doesn't that happen? And we, we romanticize these places that we don't go to. So that was the whole setup. This is, a, you know, the challenging the romanticized version of the Midwest, which is spot on. It's still, it's still the same. So really cool. So I need to, uh, I got the quote, I got the pull the quotes out of the book. For, for the different regions, but I want to go back in and put some notes uh, as far as how the characters react uh, and stuff that happens in the book uh, according to those regions. And I want to expand on the uh, character list. So, uh, because I had a, a pretty much a basic one that, that is included everywhere. Um, and I wanted to, um, since I 
had gone through and put there's a character list before every chapter I wanted to go through and just put a couple notes uh, on people and that's not that's still not counting all the side stories like there's tons of little little side stories and those unless it was unless there was a lot written about it I didn't include it in the character list but for the most part a lot of it's there well my goodness you guys are singing all right that's it we are almost at the end five more chapters uh chapter 78 is uh short so we'll we're just gonna have a short podcast tomorrow all right thank you for listening bye